You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Hey, everybody. My name is John Mark. Uh, some of you probably know me. I've been around for a while, and I'm on the board of directors here at the church. And I've got a little bit of an announcement to make. Um, you know, last week, Queen City turned 11 years old. 11. And we watched the video from the GoFundMe when we got in the building and everything. And it was really fun to see um, just the really beautiful story that Queen City has been over these past 11 years. But Queen City is 11 years old. And over the last couple of years, the Queen City Board of Directors has started to dream about what the next 11 years might look like. And one thing that we all agreed on is that we want to be more deliberate. Um, and one thing we wanted to be deliberate about was we felt like after 32 years of full-time ministry, we wanted to give my dad a sabbatical. Sabbatical is kind of like a long vacation, but it's more than a vacation. It's an opportunity to seek the Lord about the future. And I believe we have a future at Queen City. I think it's worth seeking the Lord over, right? We thought that at 70 years old, with 11 years building Queen City, 32 years in full-time ministry, and over 40 years of church planning, it would be an honor for the church to send my parents on a six-week sabbatical to see God about the future of the church. The board feels like this would be an incredible blessing for him, but also an incredible blessing for the church as well. You know, we like and appreciate people who grind, right? People who work hard, people who sacrifice, people who give more than they have to give. We like these people a lot. We like the idea of these people. But... um we also, as we mature, you realize that life is very much about rhythm and rest has a direct impact on the quality of the work. And this is part of the being more deliberate that we want to do as a Queen City Church. We want to make sure that we work really, really, really hard. I like working hard. Who likes working hard? Raise your hand. I love it. But I also realize if I work too hard, there's a point when you get into a negative return zone, right? So as a church, we want to make sure all the staff people, all the people who give and give and give, have just as much as they possibly can to give to the church. And so we think it'd just be an incredible blessing to my dad and to the church to send him on a sabbatical. Um, so a couple of things. Number one, um, I don't know why I feel like I have to say this. Sometimes when a pastor does something really bad, they send them on a sabbatical. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is not that. This is not even close to that, okay? I don't know why. The devil fills the silence sometimes. Sometimes the things you don't say, the devil fills those spots. And no, nothing like that at all. It's literally the opposite, okay? So number one, it's not that. Okay, number two, mom and dad are not going to be around very much. That's awesome. Don't be worried. Don't worry about that. And please, don't. You, if you're their friends, talk to them. But 
don't bug them with church stuff, right? We have Andy and Amy for that. Because Andy and Amy, in the interim, are going to be leading the church. And I want you to take all your problems and issues that you have during those six weeks and aim them directly. And Andy and Amy, I promise they're going to fix all the problems in just six weeks. Everything that's wrong with ministry, Christianity, the church at large, the whole business. Andy and Amy are going to fix it in six weeks. But for real, we're real excited. Queen City is wonderful. It has been such a wonderful journey. It's been a little bit hard at times, but anything that's good has been hard. Has anyone done anything good that wasn't a little bit hard? No. Um, if you've ever done anything that's good that wasn't hard, you've probably never done anything that's really that awesome. No, and it doesn't mean that what you did wasn't good. It just means there's awesome and stuff for you. Things are hard. And, but predominantly, you know, Queen City's been great. And I think Queen City has another 11, maybe another 32, maybe another 40, whatever, 11 times 11. But 11 is an important year for us. It's an important year for my dad. And I want to be very deliberate about what the next 11 years looks like. So here at the 11 year, a week after the 11 year anniversary, we're going to dream about the future. And so if you guys would, let's pray for my dad. Do you guys like extend a charismatic hand towards my dad? Father God, Lord Jesus, we love, 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 love Robin and Donna McMillan. I don't know where my mom is. She really should be in here. She's in kids. She's working. I know. See, case in point, ladies and gentlemen. Lord Jesus, but we love Robin and Donna. And we are so thankful for them. Everything that has happened over these past 11 years would not have happened had they not answered the call to do something scary to do something hard, to do something exciting, and to do something fun. Lord, we would not all be here right now, and all the beautiful things that have happened in the church would not happen if they hadn't answered your call. So we thank you that they've answered the call, and we bless them, and we ask that every sacrifice they've made would come back a hundred times, and that blessing would return on them over and over and over again, and uh, bless their generations especially the one that came directly from them right after them, Lord Jesus. Bless that generation. Really, really good. No, but spiritually speaking, Lord, bless the generations that come from their obedience and their passion and their love for you and their love for your body and your people, Lord. We just pray and speak and um, enter into the story that you have written for their life, and we acknowledge it and we honor it and we celebrate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for Robin and Don, if you would, guys. How did we get through a whole 11-year birthday without invoking St. Nigel Tufnell of the music ministry, Spinal Tap, about the power of 11? Turn it up to 11. Come on. All right. Thank you, Jared. Turn it up. Lord, turn Queen City up to 11 and give the vision for that to Robin and Donna during this time of rest. I heard one of those cheesy Christian bumper sticker phrases last night, but it's true. You can't pour out of an empty cup. And uh, so we want to take this time. This is the special offering part where we take up an additional offering that goes to Robin and Donna to bless them, to provide for them, to fund this sabbatical that they can rest, that they can renew, that they can get new visions. So please give 
to them. If you only have one gift this morning, you're welcome to give it to that. It's the same way to give as uh, you can text the same number. You can go to queencity.church and click the Give tab. You will notice if you do that, there's the general tithe and offering tab, and there's a second tab for special offering. So <clears throat> select that tab to give to them. Um, and please give abundantly. We've been blessed with a respite vacation ourselves in July because a ministry gives it to people who are going through cancer, and, and our family has been blessed with that. And we've been blessed with that because the church or just people have given their money because rest is important. It's crucial. So let's do that for Robin and Donna. Robin. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. In closing, I've got a plane to catch. <laughs> That's, that was, that just was what it was. <laughs> When Kim talked this morning about, as she was leading worship, about uh, doers and beers, how many of you noticed that she made that comment that we needed to be? Well, interestingly enough, I'm going to speak a little bit this morning about Mary and Martha. And some of you may be familiar with that, but um, my uh, topic and my focus is Jesus himself, the best part. And there are a couple of verses I'll read. First of all, I've got a number of them. Let me see. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul said, but now I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, your thoughts may be corrupted and you may lose your single-hearted simplicity of devotion and pure love for Christ. In John 17, 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus saying that about himself. Eternal life is knowing a person. And there's a simplicity to it that I think, um, how many of you know preachers oftentimes preach what they need to hear themselves? Anybody ever figured that out over the years? Losing the simplicity of devotion and love for the Lord Jesus. Eternal life is in knowing Jesus Christ, and eternal life is not just about a length of time. It's about a quality, not just a quantity or length of time. John 5, 39, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And then Acts 4, 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And I want to read that a different way or a different translation. The council, now this is the story of the 
man who'd been crippled for over 40 years received um, a miraculous healing. Uh, the Lord used James and John for that, and it caused such a problem. The Sanhedrin had called James and John on the carpet. And so it's talking about these council members and their conversation with James and John. And it says the council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Standing there with them was the healed man, and there was nothing further they could say. And so we're talking this morning about being with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And this was in Acts chapter 4. A lot had gone on since the resurrection. And so being with Jesus is not just about having been an apostle who was alive when Jesus first came. Actually, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go because I'll send back the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a direct representative of who Jesus is and can be that to us as we really, really focus on the Lord. Let's say this together. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. What was, why were they the way they were? They had been with Jesus. And so when I think about that, over this weekend and week, I arrived at Luke 10.38, the story of Jesus, Mary, and Martha. And we're going to beat Martha up a little bit this morning, but I don't think she'll mind. Um, not really, but, you know, she gets a bad rap. Um, somebody's got to get the stuff done, right? That's part of it. But let's, let's do this. Let's read this. Um, verse 38 and 39 is Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey. They came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha. And she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated with finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha. Listen to the Lord's response. This is really great. Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset? and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions. Anybody had any distractions the last couple of years? Yeah. Mary has discovered, discovered, Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She's undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. That's the classic, classic story of Jesus, Mary, and Martha. And I don't want to shortchange Martha. She is the one who welcomed Jesus into her home. And any of these ideas we have are applicable. 
you could actually say out loud to Jesus, you're welcome in my home. Do you know why that's a good thing? Because Jesus is really alive and he really is paying attention and that means something to him. We have no idea how broken the Lord's heart's been. Uh, they're, they're actually, I was going to took this out of my message, but the more I think about it, we have no idea that, that we affect God, that it matters to him um, about what we do, who we are. It affects him. And um, so Mary, Martha, not Mary, was the one who had welcomed Jesus into her home. And she was the one who made sure everything was ready. But sometimes doing the right thing can keep us from doing the essential thing. And I, I want to investigate uh, how our, our personal relationships, how life, how many of you have heard that phrase, do life together? I don't like that phrase. I would rather just live. I, I, I have all kind of reactions that I don't always bring out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's how the affairs of life, how listening to all the voices, the opinions, the ideas, the crowd noise, how the everyday busyness of life tries to rob us from the very best thing in life available to anyone at all times. And that's knowing and being devoted to Jesus without distraction. But it's, it's a cultivated lifestyle. How many of you understand what I mean by that? You have to cultivate this. This is focusing on Jesus is a process you develop. I've learned a lot of things about the Lord. One thing I've learned about the Lord is if I talk to him, he'll talk to me. That's A. B is the more I talk to him, the more he'll talk to me. I went through a process a number of years ago where um, I thought about that verse, uh, depart from me for you never knew me. And I always thought that meant, oh, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They weren't in the category of redeemed people or however you want to look at that. But that's not what he said. He said, I never knew you. Oh, how could he know me if I didn't tell him in a relational way? How could he know me in a relational way if I didn't tell him who I was? Now, it's great God knows everything about everything, and it's great that God's everywhere at all times, but that has virtually zero practical effect on our lives until you realize um, something happens when we begin to tell him who we are. And I've gone through this process, and I still do it. I started out by just telling him my full name. I've said to some of this before. I started all the way back as far as I can remember as a child and told him over a period of time things about me as though he did not know anything about me. What if there's a part of the Lord who chooses not to know anything about you you don't tell him? He could 
he could, he could be that way. I don't know. But here's what I discovered, and I'll tell you about one in particular. I think this was maybe eight years ago I, I started this process. I told him about an episode in my life or uh, an inclination um, over things that I'm ashamed of. And a lot of people deal with shame. A lot of people have these internal issues, and they don't know what to call it. But many of them you could lump under that category being ashamed, how they look, what they sound like, on and on and on. And I began to talk to the Lord about my own feelings of shame. And then I said, but you wouldn't really know how it feels to be ashamed because you've never done anything that was shameful. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, that's not true. And I said, well, what do you mean it's not true? He said, I experienced everybody's shame on the cross. And then, of course, there's the the verse in the book of Hebrews that plainly says that. Uh, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. There it is, plainly written. So I said to the Lord, and I had been saved maybe 40 years then. I said, why did you never talk to me or tell me this before? He said, you never talked to me about it. Are you listening? The more you talk to him, the more he'll talk to you. You'll be amazed if you really open your heart. And if you do it out loud, go into a closet that's muffled and soundproof so nobody will think you're a lunatic and talk out loud to the air as though it were Jesus because there he is. That's the best piece of advice maybe I could give you today. Now, Mary had become exasperated. And one of the reasons she had become exasperated was she focused on what she thought needed to happen to, to adequately host Jesus. She became exasperated by comparing herself with her sister, Mary. There's Mary sitting there looking at him. There she is working away. She was troubled because of what Mary was doing and what she was not doing. And what happened to her through that process is her ability and privilege. See, this is a word we find in this story in the Passion Translation. This privilege of enjoying the Lord. This privilege of enjoying the Lord was stolen from her by her attitude about what someone else was or wasn't doing. But we have a job description. I want to give everybody a new job description. Take notes. Take your pen out. This is tattoo worthy. Here's your new job description. Enjoy the Lord. Every single one of us. Now, that may be a foreign notion to you. It shouldn't be. All of us don't really believe he loves us, and half of us think he's mad at us. He does, and he's not. Whatever that was about, whatever irreconcilable differences, emotions, feelings, behaviors, whatever, that have gone on between you and God have been reconciled by Jesus himself through what he did on the cross. We're reconciled. 
He's not mad. Say that with me. God's not mad. He's feeling pretty good about me today. Can you say that? Can you say that? He, God's feeling good about me today. God's feeling good. Lord, this is hard because new job description. Now, Martha was so exasperated, she interrupted Jesus. It seems to me that when God has something to say, we probably shouldn't interrupt him. But that's how distracted, that's how anxious we can become if we aren't careful. And here's, here's the classic, verse 40b. Martha, conversation between Martha and Jesus. Martha, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? Jesus, no. <laughs> Let me re- review that. Martha, Lord, don't you think it's unfair? Don't you think? Don't you think? Here's what to think, Lord. It's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself. Jesus, no. I had a fellow give me a don't you think question. And I know sometimes people just have, that's the way they ask a question. But if you pay attention to the words, and I try to pay attention to the words in communication because that's what words are for. Um, he said, don't you think blah, 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 blah. And I said, are you asking me what, to th- what I think? Or are you telling me what to think? Well, that was not fun for him. <laughs> but we can try to manage and control people. But let people think for themselves. Actually, one of my sons, I had a way of whenever I was arguing with them, of arguing them into my position without letting them come up for air. And one of my sons said to me, well, Dad, you're just, you're just controlling. You're just controlling me. And I thought, that's right. And what good is it to control somebody? It doesn't change anything. I mean, some situations people need to be controlled so they don't hurt somebody. But basically, people need to think for themselves. Certainly, Jesus ought to be able to express what he really thinks. But um, Martha seems to be a little controlling here. She's exasperated. She's frustrated. But we assume if we can control things in life, we'll be better, right? But is it? Hey, listen, if you control everything and everybody, you're responsible for whatever they do. That's not good. So, then she said, don't you think it's unfair? Boy, we can talk about what's fair. What is fair? What do you think's fair? What do I think's fair? What do the Lord think's fair? What is fair doesn't have anything to do with it. We can't let our sense of fairness alienate us from the Lord. He has reasons for what he does or doesn't do. Now the devil gets in there. I'm not blaming everything on the Lord. I'm really not. But there's this idea of, of fairness that really will exclude, begin to exclude you from your relationship with the Lord because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what needs to happen. 
Then she says, you should tell her to get up and help me. Don't we all know what Jesus should do? Don't we? Don't we? Um, Jesus thought just the opposite. He thought he should not tell her to get up and help her. We saw that a minute ago. But the Lord did this, and I really, I really love it in the Passion Translation. It seems to, to me in, in, in so many ways to bring out just the, um, the, the personality and the heart of Jesus. When the Lord answered Martha, he said, Martha, my beloved Martha. I love that. Actually, the text says Martha, Martha. But the reason, um, and you find this a lot of places in the Scripture, there are different reasons. Um, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Uh, um, Samuel, Samuel. Um, Martha, Martha. Um, there are a lot of reasons in the Scripture we find that a person's name is used twice in a row. There's some form of emphasis or importance. But in this case, it was Jesus expressing to Martha how much he really loved Martha. And then he asked her this question, why are you upset and troubled? Why have you pulled away? Why are you pulled away by all these many distractions? And so Jesus expressed in a loving way um, to Martha, trying to adjust her perspective. And he asked her a question instead of accusing her or scolding her. He just asked these questions. There's something so marvelous in our relationship with God when we get to know him better and when we're in communication. And he can ask us questions because he always asks us questions that we think we know the answer to, but we really don't or he wouldn't be asking us. Why are you upset? Why are you troubled? Why are you so distracted? Well, Martha was doing the right thing, preparing the meal, but Mary was doing the most important thing, it says. Verse 42, Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and here it is. I won't take this privilege from her. How many of you know it's hard to get with the Lord? It is. It is. There's a discipline to it. But there's something I think we can discover. I mentioned it earlier. If we talk to him, he'll talk to us. The more we talk to him, the more he talks to us. But there's a recovery we need, a rediscovery of how to focus on Jesus. And so here's the Jesus perspective. The one thing most important, it's him. One of the translators, in the context of this meal they were having with Jesus, they said, there's one thing most important, even the best dish. The best dish served at that meal with Mary, Martha, and Jesus was Jesus himself. He was the best dish. One translation, one thing is needful, but Mary has chosen the good part. One thing is necessary, another translation. One thing is essential, another translation. Only a few things are really needed, the J.B. Phillips 
translation. Perhaps only one. Mary has chosen the best part, and you must not tear it away from her. So, here's what I believe the Lord wants to do. He, he wants to capture our hearts. Boy, there's so much turmoil in the world, isn't there? He wants to capture your heart. He can capture your heart. I think another episode involving Mary where she, John 12, 3, she took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And then in Mark 14, there are six other verses I want to read. And this is... This is a picture of one who, after sitting at his feet, after hearing and knowing who he is, she became captivated by him. It says in Mark 14, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. I want everybody to envision a quart of oil. You got that image? How big's a quart of oil? Show me at your seat. How big's a quart of oil? Please do this with me. It is so important. No, your quart's too high. That's no, no, your no a quart of oil is about like that. Okay. You got now hold that quart of oil in your in your left hand. And you I'm going old school. You got one of those big Edlin church keys they used to call them can opener. Okay. Give it a little puncture. Spin it around. Give it a little puncture. That was the amount of spikenard she poured on Jesus' head. Oil. Oh, she just anointed her friend there. Very good. Awesome. Another episode was she. Um, the first verse in John 12, anointed his feet, Mark 14. I'm combining these two. I think both of these happened independently of each other. I've read a lot about this, but think about the amount, the amount that she poured out. She broke the flask, it said. She poured it on his head. Another place it says, she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of that oil. But there was a problem. Verse 4 in Mark 14, there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Barclay's translation translates, criticized her sharply as snarled their reproaches at her. Think of that, snarled. Have you been snarled at lately of your devotion to Jesus? <laughs> well, you've got a ways to go, I guess snarled their reproaches. 
time out. What's that? <laughs> Criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Come on, Jesus. Why do you trouble her? With the questions, Jesus, again with the questions. She has done a good work for me. Another translation. It's a lovely thing she has done to me. And then he goes after him. He says, for you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have, me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. Say that with me. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And I'm sure nobody in the room understood what he was talking about. They didn't believe he was going to die. Assuredly, I say to you, listen to this, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And I don't think the gospel is fully preached until this story is told. Because the end result of all of this, these chairs, this walls, buildings, relationships, preaching, what, what is that all about? If it's not about having your heart, having your heart, having Jesus have your heart. I remember Amy said one time something really worth noting. She wants to be in a church where Jesus is the most important person in the room. See, when we worship, there are all kinds of reasons to worship. But one thing I think we lose sight of is we, we're worshiping a person. We're worshiping God. We're offering Jesus something. And I think the truth of it is when human hearts begin to, to see that they're relating to a real person, not a concept, not a thought process, not a theology, not an idea, not a method, not words on a page, when they are actually relating to the living, breathing Jesus, he will come. When hearts are turned toward him, he will show up in sometimes dramatic ways. Are you listening to me? There's no trick. There's no gimmick. There's no hold your Bible right or not cuss or praise enough. There's none, none of that. Those are methods, not a person. We're after methods. How, how do you do this? Give me the three ways to do the six things that give me undisturbed whatever it is I'm after and uh, heaven too. No, they may work every, they may work. They may work a while. What? Whatever it is you think you do that makes it work. But there's an end to it. Here's what works. Him. Relating to him. He will treat me differently than he treats you. 
He may be harder on me than he is on you because I'm supposed to know him better than you. Or he may go easier on me and just stuff happens to you and I'm glad it didn't happen to me. Figure it out. You can't. Here's what you can do. You can trust and you can devote and you can discover. Figure it out. Probably not. Probably not. Is that okay? How do you... I've been married 45 years. I have not, quote, figured out that woman. I know her in ways, but you know what I mean. No, he's real. He's a person. Jesus person. He's not an it. The Holy Ghost isn't a force or even a presence. It's a person who has presence. No, these we're talking about living people in the Godhead. Not ideas, not concepts, not theories, not practices, not processes. Although there are practices and processes. But at the heart of it, does he, has he captured your attention? And that's, that's hard to maintain. Who knows it is? I know it is. That's why I'm preaching about it. What do you think I'm going to do for six weeks? I want to find him again. Wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So let me make a few comments about these verses. The story happened in the house of Simon the leper. Lepers were considered unclean, and that leper was unclean till Jesus healed him. The fact that they ate in his house is a testimony to the power of Jesus. If Simon had not been healed, there would have been no meal with him in his house. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And, and what that really speaks of, their people who are so close to Jesus, you know it when you get around them. Maybe there are too few people like that. But there are people that carry the presence. And that's what we should all understand. We can be so close to him. We as a corporate community can draw so close to him. That maybe even the literal fragrance of the Lord comes, which I've experienced before. Others have too. You may have never heard of that. I don't know what your experience contains. But true love for Jesus looks like something. Breaking that flask speaks of humility. Now, let me just say this, and please just listen. It's very difficult for proud people to bring themselves to worship God in public. What would you really do if, number one, nobody else was there? Number two, you didn't care that they were. Another idea. When you're broken before him, something precious is released out of your life. That's one of the things we don't understand as Christians is God will take you through a breaking process and it will not be happy you may get a book deal out of it if you come through the whole thing. 
But part of what has to happen in every life, if you're going to be fruitful beyond the norm, is you're going to go through some form of a breaking in your life, some disappointment, some heartache, something you can't simply get over by trying a little harder or reading another book. It takes him. Are you listening? Every time Jesus fed the multitude, he blessed and he broke. He blessed and he broke. I want to be blessed. I don't want to be broken. Well, then your blessing ain't going far because there's a breaking. Can you hear that? There's something uh, when believers will go through the entire difficult process and come out without being angry or bitter that makes you a walking testimony to, to, to the goodness of God or to the mercy of God. But when you're broken before him, something precious. Listen, when you're broken, two things happen. Crummy stuff comes out, good stuff comes out. But there's a level of worship that releases an atmosphere of heaven. What loving Jesus may look like, pouring oil on his head. I don't know how you do that here. Please don't pour any on mine. I had a lady one time get all excited and anoint my feet with oil. The only problem was I had brand new shoes and the oil stained my shoes. And I was sort of unhappy being anointed. <laughs> that was a bad bless. <laughs> Uninvited adoration. Nobody asked Mary to come do what she did. Socially awkward worship. I preached this one time, one years ago, socially awkward worship. And I thought I'd done a really good job until this woman actually became one of my interns. She bolted up and in my face at her maximum um, volume, began to praise and shout glory to God. And I thought, what, what would possess a woman to do that? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, okay. I just said that's a good thing. So me, apparently. Socially awkward. See, even saying socially awkward worship makes people in here feel awkward. Just mentioning it. And I'll tell you this, it would bother me if you were socially awkward in worship. That's just what happens, right? Can you, I mean, all of this goes, you know, this is people. All of this goes on together. Total abandonment. Can you imagine giving yourself to Jesus with total abandonment? That's a risk, right? The alabaster flask was likely worth more than one year's wages. Now, I was wondering about that. Um, that was uh, Mary and Martha's sisters and Lazarus uh, was the brother. And they had domestic issues, right? Mary and Martha didn't get along. Everybody see that clearly from the text? There was conflict. wonder if that had anything to do with Lazarus getting sick. You ever... Okay, never mind. 
Um, Mary wasn't married. And yet, that flask probably represented everything she had for the future. And in that culture, if you were not married and you had no other close family members, you were going to be impoverished. But the thing was, she had seen Jesus raise her brother from the dead. She had seen that. How many of you like trusting the Lord? I don't either. You know what I'm saying? Trusting the Lord is difficult, isn't it? It is. But it's important. She had developed. But you know, the thing is, it's hard to trust somebody you don't know. And that's one of the purposes, is to know him. But Mary's devotion took on a very unique characteristic there. And then this question was asked, why this waste? And I've thought about this. Um, my wife and I lived in a Christian community for about eight years, and our commitment was uh, pay our minimal bills and give the rest to the ministry. And it wasn't a commune, but it was sort of like one, but it wasn't actually one. There were differences in the, us in the commune. But I had an aunt who sort of wrote me out of her will because as far as she was concerned, any money I gave her, whatever I did with it was going to be a waste. Think about that. Practical people think that giving their lives to Jesus is the same thing as being wasteful. Well, look what you could have done with your life. I told my dad I was going in full-time ministry, and he started crying. That was a great endorsement. It wasn't tears of joy, ladies and gentlemen. I had, I, had to, I had to look at his face and see those tears roll down his face because of some decisions I was making. And it hurt. It hurt him. It hurt me. But what's important to you? What, what's, what do you value? And I like this too. When Jesus became aware of what they said to Mary, she defended Mary. I want to talk about, I'll just, I'll just close with, with this, and I went over a little bit. I'm sorry, but I've had two, I've had two visions of the Lord connected to his crucifixion or his suffering. And in one of them, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. Actually, I remember it was John Mark's 22nd birthday. There go the 11s again, right? John Mark's 22nd birthday. I woke up, and I had a habit of telling the Lord, Lord, it really bothers me at how you were treated when you came. And I don't know why I was praying that way, but I couldn't stop praying that way. And in the middle of the night when I was awakened, I'd say, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. I mean, what your mother had to see when you were crucified. I'm so sorry of how you were treated. They spit on you, all the things they did to you. And suddenly I was in a vision, and I saw the Lord being scourged. And if you know the story about the scourging, Romans would beat you with what uh, is called a cat of nine tails, and it's a stick with apparently nine leather straps on it. 
and embedded into the straps are, are bits of metal and bits of glass and things. And when they would hit you, it would wrap around your back and then they would pull it off. And the law was you couldn't hit somebody more than 39 times because they knew that would kill them. Well, the Romans didn't function under Jewish law. And so I saw, I had, it was like an open vision of Jesus being scourged. And when they, he had his hands bound. Now, was this actual? I don't know. This is just what I saw. His hands were bound, and then the, the cord or rope or leather, whatever, was tied to some kind of a post. And every time they brought that whip across his back, he would leave his feet like you were beating some kind of an animal. He would come up off his both feet just in agony. And I, I saw his back. People say he had 39 stripes and one stripe for every disease. And No, what I saw was one open, massive wound. And over time, as I, I think about the most embarrassing thing you've ever done, then thinking, think about it being recorded. But you were the only person that had it. Who would you show it to? Nobody, right? Nobody. So I wondered, Lord, why did you show me that? That was so terrible, humiliating. Have you ever seen somebody you really cared about, just some people just beat him up and you couldn't do anything about it? They gang up on him, beat him tear him up. That's what they were doing to Jesus. Defenseless, naked. Here's why he showed me that. He wanted me to know. He wanted me to know. Friends want friends to know, right? It it just caused... A profound depth of love for him beyond what I knew before. And um, actually, over the last several weeks, I'd had another vision. I don't have these much. Um, I had a vision of Jesus carrying part of the cross until he couldn't carry it anymore, until he just collapsed. And you remember, they picked um, a gentleman out of the crowd to carry the cross for Jesus the rest of the way. And I'm thinking, why, do I, why would I see these things? He wants people to know. His love looks like something, right? It looks like something. So, He's the best dish. He's the most essential one. So I'm going to invite Thomas back up here to close. And God bless you folks. Amen. What a perfect word to begin a six-week Sabbath sabbatical. Lord, we just ask that you would bless Robin and Donna during this time. Keep them in your prayers. Pray for them every day. Give your offerings to them. All right.
We are slowly working our way back to our some of our old processes and programs post-COVID. And today we are restarting prayer ministry. Kim and John Schroeder lead that up for us. So please, if you need prayer, want prayer, prayer request, a word, we will have opportunity right here after the service. Just come down the front and get prayer. Have an awesome week. God bless you. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.